Let's pray, shall we? So, Father, I thank you for this opportunity that we can just gather around your word. And, Lord, we just pray that this morning you would just speak to each and every one of us, that, God, you would just encourage us, you'd challenge us. And, uh, Lord, just give us a heart for the things that your heart burns for. And we just ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 says, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. What does that mean? It means that the things that um, we fight with are not the things that you'd expect uh, people would fight with in a battle uh, in the world. Uh, In the late 70s, early 80s, I used to spend quite a bit of time uh, driving across the Haraki Plains to some of New Zealand dairies. Uh, smaller factories, factories like Waitakaru and Pirata and, and those ones. And it's amazing when you're, you're driving along and your mind is in neutral, uh, you, you sort of, you often open the door for the enemy to come in with ungodly thoughts. Has anyone, anyone ever had that happen to or is it just me? Yeah, this, this happened a lot, especially when I was a younger Christian. Um, It happened until I learnt to use the weapon of praise as a response. And so when those thoughts came in, I began to just praise Jesus, use the name of Jesus. And it's amazing, as soon as that happened, the thoughts would just go. They'd just appear. And after a few weeks of doing this, I found that the thoughts didn't even come in in the first place. Uh, when I'm playing golf on, and one of my playing partners starts blaspheming, the first thing I do is I just start praising God under my breath. And it's amazing how quickly they stop, even though they can't hear me, but the spirit behind what they're doing can hear me. And he hates people praising the name of Jesus. You see, prayer and praise are weapons of warfare. And we see this in Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, we see Paul and Silas uh, at the prompting of the Holy Spirit going to Philippi, which is the capital of Macedonia. And within a few days, they share the gospel with an important woman called Lydia, and she and her whole household get saved. And so Paul decides to stay on for a few days and encourage uh, this household of new believers. So day after day, Paul would go up to the uh, place of prayer, and in doing so, they're followed by a demon-possessed woman. And day after day, she would shout out, Uh, after Paul and uh, Silas uh, to the point that Paul is really ticked off by this lady. And so one day when she comes up after him, Paul turns around and delivers her of this demon. Her owners who were making money out of her fortune telling were so annoyed as they realized that their source of income had just been destroyed um, that they make up lies about Paul and Silas and they have them arrested. And we're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter 16 and verse 23. It'll be on the screen behind me in the NIV version. And it says this, it says, After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them 
in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. And the jailer called for the lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Man, that's pretty good, isn't it? How would you like people just coming up to you in the workplace and say, hey, what do I need to do to get saved? What do I need to do to get saved? That happens when the Holy Spirit is moving. Amen. And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. Wow, that is a great that that is a great story. Paul and Silas were right in the center of God's will. They'd been called by the Holy Spirit to Macedonia. And yet being in the center of God's will didn't stop them from having problems. And you and I can be in the center of God's will and still have a myriad of problems. Isn't that right? It doesn't, we're not insulated from that sort of thing. Jesus said, uh, in the last days, you're going to have, going to be, have trouble. It's going to be ter- perilous times. The good news is that while Paul and Silas were in the center of God's will, Greater is he that's within us than he that's in the world. In other words, the Holy Spirit within us is far greater, is far stronger than anything that we're going to meet out there in the world. Uh, We're on the winning side. And even if there are weapons designed specifically to target us, my Bible tells me that no weapon that's formed against us will prosper because that is the inheritance of the saints of God. So even if you come under attack from the enemy, and I know this morning that some of you are under attack, you're under attack with your health, you're under attack with your business, you're under attack in the relationship area, but no weapon that's formed against you will prosper. doesn't say that there'll be no weapons, but it does say that the weapons won't prosper. You see, we can have and live in victory through Jesus Christ. And more importantly, we can see others set free. Now, what's interesting about Acts chapter 16 is that it says that the woman that was following Paul around had a spirit of divination, or as the Greek original text says, she had a spirit of python. A spirit of python. Uh, This is the only place in the book of Acts that a tormenting spirit 
is actually named. And so that's significant, and we need to take note of this because the name of the Spirit will describe some of its characteristics. In 1985, I was on a, um, a trip to China. I was at, attending an international conference in Guangzhou, and while I was there, I took the opportunity to go to Guangzhou Zoo. And uh, there I saw that fella. Now, um, he is seven meters long. All right, so just to give you an idea. That is one big snake. Uh, Rose, have you seen Bur Burmese pythons when you're in New Guinea? Yeah, uh, they, they are big. All right. Now, I've, I've seen king cobras in India, and they are the most devilish-looking snakes you'll ever see. But these pythons, they, they are something, they're something else. Uh, unlike the venomous cobra, the python kills its victim by coiling itself around it, and then every time its victim exhales, it squeezes a little bit more. And uh, the python will constrict a little more, a little more, and it will literally squeeze the breath out of its victim. And then it will unlock its jaws, and it will swallow its victim whole. And uh, so in the wild, uh, a python like this would feed on um, pigs, and small deer and other animals like that, and just swallow them whole. So python is a spirit that kills its victims by squeezing and choking the breath out of them. And all through the word, one of the major descriptions of the Holy Spirit is the wind or the breath of God. So with this spirit, the enemy wants to accost believers and choke the spirit from them. The python it doesn't break the bones of its victims. In other words, it leaves the structure in place. Uh, the enemy doesn't care if you have structure and form and call yourself a Christian. He doesn't mind singing as long as there's no anointing. He doesn't care if you go through the motions of worship. But the thing that the enemy will try and stop you from having is the anointing, the breath, the Spirit of God in your life. We can have the form, we can have the skills, but without the breath of God, the anointing, it'll be empty and it'll be powerless. The enemy loves powerless people and powerless churches. The enemy comes to constrict and to bind and to try and stop you from moving in the anointing. He wants you to stop you from moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which are available to you. The enemy doesn't mind if we have a form of godliness, but no breath and no power. Now, if we're going to impact our city, it has to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And if we want the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, then we've got to throw off compromise and develop a God-attracting purity in our lives. Purity attracts the presence of God. Impurity repels God's presence. Acts 16 tells us 
that there were men making their living by enslaving this demon-possessed woman. And if you're not living clean before God, not only will the devil bind you, but you'll open yourself to be used by people. Sin gives the enemy permission to mess up your life. 1 Peter 3 verse 12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And when we do things God's ways, he blesses us. He blesses us with his presence. He blesses us with his anointing. He blesses us with his power. He blesses us with his grace. But sin causes God to remove his hand of blessing off our lives. In the mid-80s, I remember a time in Hamilton where um, some of my family and Penny's family had come to visit us and I decided to take them for a boat trip uh, up the Waikato River, up to the Narrows, which is quite spectacular. So I remember us launching, uh, launching the boat in the middle of Hamilton and then um, cutting across to Wellington Street Bridge, for, um, for those of you who know the situation. And we tied up at the jetty there and the kids went for a swim. We had about eight, nine on the boat at that stage. And um, kids went for a swim. We had three quarters of an hour uh, tied up there. And then <coughs> we all jumped back in and uh, went to go up the river. And I thought, man, the boat's a little bit sluggish. Uh, it's taken a real effort to try and get the boat up on the plane and get going. So I got everyone to shift forward. And uh, we got up on the plane, and that was all good. And we went up, had a look at the narrows, and uh, had a fantastic time. When I got back to the boat ramp... I found out that I'd left the bung out of the boat the whole time. And it had filled up, it would have filled up with, you know, three or four ton of water in the bottom of that boat. No wonder I couldn't get up on the plane. No wonder it struggled because the whole back of the boat was under the water just about, I suppose. Uh, just as well, I had a um, sealed underfloor compartment. Otherwise, we would have sunk. What's that got to do with sin? <laughs> well, sin is like a hole in our Holy Spirit tank. It's like leaving the bung out in your life. It's like allowing the enemy to come in and just weigh you down. It reduces the level of anointing and God's manifest presence in your life. So if you want more of God's tangible presence in your life, then start plugging the holes. And if... The best way of doing that is to start off by just praying, just to say, Holy Spirit, just reveal to me those areas in my life that aren't pleasing to you. And he will. If you're open, if you want to make changes, if you want to live right before God, the Holy Spirit will reveal to you those areas that need to be changed. That's what I remember uh, over the years I've had the privilege of leading uh, numerous couples to the Lord. Often they're not married. And part of me wants to jump right in and say, hey, you're not married. That's not good. Uh, you need to get married if you're going to live the Christian life. But I've learned that the Holy Spirit 
is able to reveal these things to them. And time and time again, I would say within the first three months of being a Christian, they would come to us and say, Pastor Don, uh, we don't think our living arrangement is right. Uh, we need to get married. Would you marry us? And I would say, yeah. <laughs> and I didn't say I knew this was coming. <laughs> but invariably, the Holy Spirit, if people want to go on for God, they'll get themselves right with God. And so I challenge you, stop and say, Holy Spirit, what is it in me that's not pleasing to you? Help me. Help me. Purity of heart is so important, especially when you're wanting uh, to break through in your life. Uh, Isaiah 35 verse 8 says, And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in the way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. So if you want to live in the anointing, then holiness must be our lifestyle. If you want more of God's presence, His grace, His plans, His purposes, His blessing in your life, then get your heart right with God. And when you try to step out for God, when you try and take a stand for righteousness, the good news is that God will bless you. The bad news is that the enemy will try and constrict you and limit your effectiveness. But you can break through for God through purity and also through prayer because prayer is a weapon of our warfare. Notice the enemy didn't turn up to distract Paul and Silas at any other time apart from when they're going up to the place of prayer. The enemy wants to stop you from joining others in prayer. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the ones that uh, Jesus is talking about. One of the ways the enemy tries to choke the breath of God out of you is by distracting you from prayer. Prayer is probably the most powerful Weapon, prayer and the word of God, I'd say, are the two most powerful weapons uh, we have in the church. Wesley said, when I work, I work. But when I pray, God works. What would you rather do? Have God work or you work? <laughs> well, pray. I've noticed, you know, we can, have, we can hold a concert and hundreds will come. But if we hold a prayer meeting, only a dozen <laughs> It will come. And the enemy wants it that way because he knows that the key to supernatural breakthrough in our city is prayer. That's why I've been so keen at organizing the other churches to get together on the last Sunday of the month to pray together because prayer and unity always, always result in God's blessing. In the midst of our success, cry out to the Lord for more of his influence in our lives, more of his influence in our family, more of his influence in our city and our nation. At midnight, when everything was at its darkest, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises and supernatural things started to happen. God turned up, chains were broken, prisoners were set free. Corporate prayer and praise is so important because there is a multiplication effect that happens when we join together with others to pray and praise. When Paul and Silas prayed and praised, all the prisoners heard them. And when God answered their prayers, everyone was set free. Not just Paul and Silas. In Paul's prison, after prayer and praise, everyone's bands got loosed. You may be the only Christian in your home. Pray. 
get a prayer partner to agree with you and watch God work in your family. You may be the only Christian in your place of work. Well, get someone to pray with you, someone to agree with you, and watch God work. That's why we ministers get together. I've been praying with a group of ministers every Wednesday morning for the last 25 years, praying for the churches, praying for revival in our city. When we agree, chains of bondage are broken, and God is moving. There are some great things happening in our city. Uh, Breakthrough is coming. Uh, I don't know whether you've noticed it, but uh, next to Carmo Baptist Church, uh, there's been a social housing development. And they've put up a, a bunch of flats there, uh, right next to the, to the church, and they've got 18 tenants in there. Well, uh, Pastor Greg Bedwell was telling us that um, for the last month or so, he's had a, a new guy been coming along who's a drummer. And uh, it's been really, really good because they didn't have a drummer before that. And this guy is a bit of an evangelist. And uh, so it's been really, really good to have him as part of their music team. Well, on Sunday, he turns up, and he turns up with another guy from the housing development. And this guy is just tattooed all over. And um, this drummer says to Pastor Greg, he says, um, uh, look, this is my friend from, from next door. Uh, he said, he's a better drummer than me. Can he, can he drum this morning? Now... Pastor Greg, being wise, knows that when people say that they're good drummers, it probably just means that they hit the, hit the drums louder. All right? And so what was he going to do? And he thought, oh, well, we'll give him a go. And so they did. And the guy drummed really, really sensitively. And he was very attentive. And uh, it was great. Uh, after the service, the, the new drummer comes up to Pastor Greg and he says, Oh, he says, Pastor, I've, I've never played to that sort of music before. I've never heard that sort of music before. He says, I usually drum to heavy metal and, uh, and heavy rock music. And then he said, but, but when I was praying, he said, I felt so, so peaceful. Well, at that stage, the music director jumps in and he says, you know, you can experience that peace all of the time, not just when you're in church. And the guy says, can you? Anyway, they shared the gospel with him, led him to the Lord. And I thought, man, that is so good. So good. So they've got two drummers at Carmo Baptist now. <laughs> and uh, so that's, that's so neat. God is moving by spirit, and he's bringing people into situations where they can get saved. So take every opportunity you can to show people that God loves them and is a God who answers prayer. One of the other, one of the other um, guys in the housing development, um, one, of the, one of the guys came up to him, and this other guy was, again, totally covered with tattoos. And um, the tattooed guy said... Oh, I wonder what it's like at that church next door. Oh, they wouldn't accept me. And the, the other guy he was talking with said, I'm pretty sure the Bible says, come as you are. So he's going to come. 
So they've got uh, half a dozen of these guys from the, from the housing development coming to their church now, which is really, really, really good. So prayer and praise take territory off the enemy. But thirdly, uh, we need to develop praise and worship as a lifestyle. Uh, Psalm 22 verse 3 says, You, O Lord, are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. What that means is that when we praise, when we praise, when we worship God, God comes down and inhabits the praise. Paul and Silas were in the middle of that prison at midnight, the dark hour, but they are praising and worshipping God because that's who they were. It didn't matter what the situation was, Paul and Silas were going to praise and worship. God is good all the time. And when you acknowledge that all the time, it will change your life. It will attract God's tangible presence. The key for Paul and Silas' victory was that they were connected together. When storms of life hit, we need to be standing close to other Christians who can hold us up and who can pray and praise and worship with us. The enemy has a goal to keep you isolated. He will try and split you off using the pandemic to isolate Christians more than ever before. We've seen it all through the nation and all through the nations. The enemy always wants to fight you one-on-one in isolation. Don't let the enemy and his problems distract you from becoming what God has planned and purpose for you to become. Commit yourself to purity and prayer and praise, and then God's power will be released in your life. Did you know that demons hate the presence of God? Many times I've seen people set free of demonic bondages during worship. Don't even have to pray for them. In the presence of God, demons flee. When David played the harp before the Lord and King Saul, his anointing was so strong, he didn't have to say a word, but when he did play, the demons in King Saul fled. You know, we've got an musicians that can play under the anointing. And when they play, we sense the presence of God. Uh, In Matthew chapter 4, we read of Jesus being in the wilderness and being tempted by the devil. And Jesus said to the devil, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. The Bible says that as soon as Jesus said that, the devil left Jesus, angels came and ministered to him, and Jesus returned from the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're in the wilderness being tempted by the devil, choose to worship and watch the enemy flee from you. As you experience a fresh power encounter with the Holy Spirit, God's presence will just come. Thanks, Isaac. If you can bring the team up. 
You know, we can, we can live in Psalm 34. Psalm 34 says this. says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. What does that mean? It means that in every situation, in every circumstance, we can have a heart with a bias towards God. It doesn't matter what's going on inside. It doesn't matter what's going on round about us. We can choose to worship God. We can choose to grow as worshipers. In the middle of any situation, we can turn our hearts and turn our eyes towards Jesus and lift up His name in the middle of that. It says, My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. How good is that? How good is that? There There are times in the Psalms where the psalmist speaks to his inner person and he says, rise up, oh my soul, rise up. And sometimes that's what we need to do. When we get down, when we get in a difficult situation, especially when things are dragging on in our lives and we're not seeing any answer to our prayers, that's the time that you need to speak to your soul. And it says, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. That's where we need to focus on. That's where you can begin to claim victory. That's where you can begin to take ground off the enemy. As you rise up, begin to praise Him, begin to worship Him, no matter what is going on in your life, no matter what is going on in your circumstances, because prayer and praise are powerful weapons that attract the presence of God and take ground off the enemy through the disciples' purity and prayer and praise. God was able to turn even the worst of circumstances for good. He was able to set a demon-possessed woman free and He was able to save a whole family because the disciples had a heart to praise and worship and pray. God can do that through you too. As you develop that heart towards God, He'll set you free. He will break through. And He'll make a difference in your community.